Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. I hope that as we work our way through our worship services and uh, <clears throat> we sing these uh, great hymns, I, I hope you pay attention to those. In each of those, you are getting sermon after sermon, message after message, based squarely upon the Word of God. And uh, this, this last one, speaking of the glory of the cross and what it means for us, a deep theological concept, not just a, a pretty song for us to sing uh, and wait for the message. The messages are in our worship as well. We're continuing on in our uh, series uh, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus, and uh, we'll conclude on Easter Sunday. I want you to try to guess which of his I Am statements will be on Easter Sunday. You can think about that one. I think you'll figure it out. Uh, we're in John 10. Truly, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. <clears throat> but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know, know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you in these moments as we move toward this feast that is laid out before us, prepare our hearts? Will you use your word to give us discernment to know really just which door we have entered in? We look to you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. I was telling someone uh, this week that when I first uh, arrived here, uh, it took me a while to get to know this building, to understand this, this building, and now uh, it's getting better all the time going into the, the new building, it's a little more self-explanatory, but Certainly, uh, there was a time where I kept getting turned around in there as well. Now, picture this, and some of you have been through this. 
Imagine this is your first Sunday here, and you are going to uh, uh, find a Sunday school class, but you get here just a, a little bit late. You know, maybe it's one of those times where you spring forward. Anyway, um, you get here a little bit late, and there's no, uh, the greeters are gone, and you say, well, I'll start making my way upstairs. You get to the second floor, and then you go to the third floor, and you find the same thing in both places, and that is all of the doors are closed, and you look down that long hallway, and you think, where in the world? They all look the same. Now, they're not the same. There's, there's only one way you can figure it out. And that is, if you begin to walk down the hallway and you look a little bit closer, you will see there's a sign next to each door that tells what's behind that door. And if you follow that, for the most part, in our church, they will be accurate. I believe they're all accurate. Well, today, uh, with the passage before us, uh, we're going to see Jesus talk about doors and gates and the way in. In this first part of uh, this passage, you get kind of what I'd call the, the back story. And I just want to read a, a few of those verses again, uh, uh, the first five verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in, by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, what we see in, in this passage today are the two most basic kind of uh, sheep pens or sheep folds uh, that were common in this day, in Jesus' day. These first verses talk about the kind that you would see, especially in towns or uh, in, even in cities. And it was the kind of a, a pen where uh, the shepherds would uh, have their uh, sheep grazing during the day outside of the, the town. And then uh, when sundown came, they would take their sheep, let them follow them back in to this pen, and they would go in the pen, and they would in intermingle with other sheep uh, in that kind of a, a sheepfold or sheep pen. And uh, then there would be a, a porter that would stay at that gate and would protect the sheep during the night from people or animals or anything else. And then the shepherd would come the next day and would uh, speak to his sheep, and they would gather, and he'd take them out, and they would repeat the process. Now, that's the kind of pen that he's, uh, he's 
talking about here, and we're actually going to get into that part of it a little bit more next week when uh, we look at his statement, I am uh, the good shepherd. Among commentators, there's a lot of disagreement over what the sheepfold or the sheep pen represents. Some say it's the world, some say it's the, the church or heaven, some say Judaism. That happens to be my personal view, but, but uh, I, I don't think we need to worry about that today. And in fact, I've already uh, read this to you twice, but you might say, wow, that, I'm not sure I understand that first part of that passage, other than there's some kind of a sheepfold and so on. Well, if you don't understand it, take heart. Because those that were there didn't understand it either. Look, look what it says down in verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he, he was saying to them. So then he goes and he makes it so it's absolutely unmistakably clear. And he makes a claim in verse 7 and 9. Verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, this was after they didn't understand what he was talking about, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now he's talking about uh, uh, typically the other kind of sheep pen, and that would be one that would be out in a rural area where uh, they would make some kind of an enclosure and just your sheep would be in there, and then the shepherd would be at the gate where they would go in and he would be the one to protect them and so on. So what's this claim? Well, we begin to see here one of the most radical claims that Christ makes and that characterizes Christianity. He asserts that there's only one door. There's only one door. It's a tenet of Christianity that quite frankly, those outside of the faith, most of them are not comfortable with, and there are those that are inside the faith, some of whom are not comfortable with saying there is only one door. The bottom line is this, though. It's not about us being comfortable, is it? I mean, is that how we make our decisions, whether we're comfortable or not? You may not be comfortable with the fact that Jesus says there is one door, but you cannot ignore it. Now, we're going to uh, get into uh, uh, talking about this whole idea of just one way in a lot more depth on Palm Sunday when we talk about uh, uh, Jesus saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to spend our whole time 
on that particular aspect. But we need to understand what he's saying here. He doesn't just say, there's one door, and listen, follow me and I'll, I'll point you to that door. What he says is, it's me. I am that door. It is that exclusive when it comes to heaven. There is one door. As narrow as those statements may seem to you, though, we need to also see how open the invitation is. He says, if anyone enters by me. Now, some might wonder whether that that doesn't that contradict some things that Jesus has already said about, uh, yeah, you know, what do you mean? You mean anyone? If anyone enters is actually the invitation? Doesn't that contradict, for instance, what he said back in John 6, verse 44? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That doesn't sound like if anyone, that it can be that wide of an invitation. What we see, though, in these statements are the, the two sides of salvation. From our side, what we see is, he says, if anyone comes to me. And then we understand the other side is that when we say, okay, I want to be one of those that comes to you. I have that desire in my heart. I want you. I want to trust in you. And then we read from God's perspective that what really happened was the Father has drawn me to Jesus. He was working all along. As far as I'm concerned, I made the choice. I am the one going through the door. From God's perspective, he says, I've given you a new heart, and that's enabled you to want to go through the door. The two sides of the picture. If it were otherwise, if it were all about you making the greatest choice, you know who would get the glory? You. But instead, God gets the glory when we enter through the door. Now here's the other thing we need to understand. Look at verse 8. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And then verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. All right, let's go back to the the first picture we had of uh, all of the doors and labels on the doors. Now, all of the doors might look like a, a pathway. There are other doors, so to speak, out there. There are some that Jesus says not only are not real doors, but they will ultimately destroy you. 
There are many of those. In fact, anything that is not the only true door is a false door. Let me give you some common categories of doors that if entered in will mean destruction for you. There are thousands, there are millions of them, but let me give you some general categories. Things that look like doors to salvation that really aren't. By the way, the scripture says Satan's the deceiver. And so he's the one that that wants us to see these other doors and say that one looks just as good. In fact, that one looks better to me than, than that door Jesus. That's what he would have you think. Satan would have you think. He's the one placing labels on these tempting doors. I mean, I'm going to give you six false doors very quickly. Uh, number one, the I've done more good than bad door. For some, they think that's the way to salvation. I've got to do more good things than bad, and there's a big scale somewhere in the sky, and if, if I can weigh down this side with with good things, even though I've done some bad things, I'll be okay. That's deception. And it doesn't work that way according to the Word of God. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Another door is, uh, well, I'm not as bad as a lot of people, door. (laughs) In other words, you can look around and And you can find somebody who has done more bad things than you have. That can make you feel good about yourself. And say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, that door is fraught with pride and with being judgmental. Because you're judging these others around you. And it, too, is a false door. Another door would be the moralism door. Well, you know, I, I try to follow the example of Jesus. It sounds good. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with following the example of Jesus. But you won't do it perfectly. And it will steal and rob you of salvation if that's the door you're trusting in. Another door would be the, I think everyone will end up in heaven door. It's a hopeful door, but it just does not fit with reality. The reality of what the Scripture says and what we know to be the case. Another door is that I'll deal with that. I'll settle that when I get older door. In other words, what is being implied here is, you know, I've still got some fun to be had before I start getting serious about those things. Talk to me when I get older. And there are plenty of people that never get older. Never make it there. Or if they do, they still continue to put it off. And then there was, well, I was burned by the church door. 
Now, typically, people wouldn't think of that as their way to salvation. But if that's what they're choosing over Jesus, then it's become a false door. Now, in all honesty, there are those that have been burned by the church. And there are those that think they've been burned by the church. But choosing that door for your salvation is not the answer. It is deadly. So this passage tells us there is one true door. And it is Jesus. And the application he gives is this. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To go through the right door means trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Not Christ plus my works. Not Christ plus anything. But only His completed work on the cross, as we just sang about, that paid for our sins, trusting in Him alone. And then the offer is this, life and having it abundantly. That's a whole sermon series in and of itself. What the abundant life is. The Scripture itself is about what the abundant life is. Today, we are going to remember what he has accomplished. With an abundant meal. Now, that sounds like it's not even true because once this is uncovered, people that... that do not have the faith, that aren't trusting in Christ alone, would say that's not an abundant meal, it's a sparse meal. That won't even tide me over to my next meal. And yet, if you're in Christ, you know that what this represents, the bread being the body, the wine being the blood. What that represents represents everything, everything that we need for the abundant life, for eternal life. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This wonderful invitation for anyone who has come and publicly professed their faith, publicly gone through the door, not of this church, but of the true church, and been consistent with that and united with the true church, the visible church. And so the invitation is for you, and yet it's narrowed for our protection, for the protection of those that that have not walked through the door and and don't know Christ yet as their Savior, we're glad you're here. We want you to watch. But the warning is that you not make a mockery of this blessed meal by partaking if you don't know Christ. Or, if you do know Christ. And earlier today, when we were confessing our sin, you were unwilling to deal with sin in your life because you love it more at this moment you've made it into an idol you love it more than you love Christ if you're at that point and you're struggling with that the answer is to to give it up and to repent but if you're not ready to do that do not make a mockery of the table he cautions us against that he says it would mean judgment upon you And I don't want that for you, and you don't want that on yourself. If you have children that have not yet publicly professed their faith and united with the church, we want you to teach them about this. Talk on the way home about it. But at this point, withhold it from them until they have done that. Let's pray together. Lord, we... Thank you for your words, and we ask now that you would set these elements apart from their common use. We can buy these at the grocery store, Lord. We we did. But today, with your blessing, will you enable us to grow spiritually in you, grow in your grace, Will you cause us to deal even more deeply with our sin, to repent even more deeply, and then to rejoice with the freedom we we have in Christ with the abundant life and this abundant meal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.